you are listening to Chaos on the Set, a chaotic TV and movie review podcast, we have your usual crew of hosts back today. I'm Shruti. I'm Mike. I'm Kate. And today we are going into the most recent Marvel release, The Eternals, directed by Chloe Zhao with an all-star cast. We'll be going full spoilers for Eternals, so please, if you don't want to be spoiled on Eternals, stop listening to this podcast, but make sure you tune back in after you have seen the movie. Um, So quick recap or plot explanation of The Eternals. The Eternals are essentially a group of beings who have been around since the dawn of time. They were sent by the prime celestial Ajak to essentially help life on Earth prosper. But spoiler alert, they're also there to basically continue breeding human lives because celestial eggs gain energy out of human lives until like there's enough human lives that have lived on Earth for the celestial to be born. Another um, antagonist in the movie are these things called deviants, which is why the Eternals thought they were brought to Earth. They're fighting these basically Demogorgon CGI type things that were there to be apex predators. If this all sounds kind of like a mess and you don't know what's going on, it's because this movie kind of is a mess. (laughs) But we're going to be positive as we can about the movie while still getting into how we could have fixed it. Um, not we, like, we would have made a better movie, but just something we would have something we liked to see. Uh, is, that, is, that a, is that an accurate um, mission statement for this podcast? <laughs> sure. We're going to write a strongly worded letter to Chloe yes. Zhao. So <laughs> when Eternals returns, assuming she is the director, she can take another stab at it no i'm just yeah. kidding i i think i liked it probably more than both of you but i'm also as we've discussed many times on the podcast uh not so well versed in the marvel cinematic universe so just sort of viewing yeah. it as its own separate film um i thought it was all right you know it, it didn't gr- grasp me but i also didn't didn't hate it. I thought some of the reviews I had read were a bit harsh, um, but yeah. plenty to break down with this one. I think like, I think me and Shruti leaned more towards not liking it because we do have the backdrop of like every single Marvel movie <laughs> in the MCU that we have watched, and so many of them we've loved so passionately. So to kind of get an an installment in the universe that's, I would say like lackluster. It's. I think it's easier for us to be a little more critical because we have all this built-up knowledge already. And I think you've seen Michael, like... Well, you saw Shang-Chi. Good for you. But <laughs> I don't know how many you've seen after I've or, seen, uh, before I've that. I've seen Black Panther and one of the Thor okay. movies and okay. really old Spider-Man. I've seen some of them. Um, okay. okay. But, I, no, I think um, you hit the nail on the head. Lackluster is the perfect mm-hmm. term. And I think that I'm uh, taking this a little bit more personally (laughs) this movie being bad than other movies one just because of the hype uh you know i was so excited for this movie but also like kate knows this i didn't start watching marvel movies until senior year of college like i very recently watched the entire mcu and so everything else kind of has been like binging a tv show for me for the mcu so when something was bad i just moved on and watched the next thing but this is the first thing where i'm like actually anticipated something been excited about it heard it was bad been disappointed gone to see it been like oh shit it is bad you know and you know it feels like a little bit of like a rough a rough patch in my relationship with mcu but it'll definitely (laughs) get better (laughs) i went into it like i knew that the critics were being pretty harsh with it and i went into it being like 
ah, I'm sure I'll like it. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna listen to those reviews until I actually see it. And then when I was in the theater, I would say, <laughs> uh, <laughs> once I saw the opening scroll Stop. <laughs> of the exposition, I was like, oh no. I did think, oh no, we're in trouble when we get to this opening scroll. <laughs> Mike, would you go to defend your... <laughs> I will defend I will defend scrolls until the end of time. That's what makes the Star Wars universe so great. It's like a, a must-have installment. Um, one of the downsides, actually, to the, the only issue... Well, not the only issue, but one of the main issues with Rogue One, which is one of... I think the best <laughs> Star Wars films is that it doesn't have an opening scroll because <laughs> Does I solo have an opening scroll. Ah, uh, that's a good question. I don't know. It might, but it might not. I've, I've only seen solo, I think once or twice. Um, but see with Star Wars movies, it's iconic. You have the music when there wasn't even music under the Eternals opening. I scroll. liked, it was I liked no like, music. So here's your homework assignment. <laughs> here's what you need to know going into this movie, which also I, I was like nervous. I was like, Oh shit. If they have an opening scroll, that means the exposition is going to be done badly, and I need to actually, like, absorb all this information. And then I got stressed because I'm like, what if I'm not reading everything that I need to remember? Who the hell is this prime celestial and this decision that this See, prime celestial made? Like, I, I like I like the opening scroll because it just sets you up with a little bit of, of baseline knowledge. So when you go in, you know, it's there's a little bit of familiarity once they jump into things. I also like the no music move. It, it it's a different kind of ambiance. And let me ask you this: What is the difference between an opening scroll, which gives you time to read, or opening narration, and you have to listen to it and try and remember all the bullshit that they say? Are you oh. saying you don't like Galadriel's narration at the beginning? <laughs> no, I love it. Michael. I love it. No, I love it. But that's why I'm saying you. But you're hypocrites. Great. If if Kate no, loves no, no. Galadriel and she hates the scroll, oh, re- no, oh, the reading assignment is different than what Galadriel. What Galadriel does is beautiful and visually stimulating, yes. and you hear her voice, and you also. Well, you okay. don't have to get into Lord of the Rings. Well, right it's, like, it's a ten okay, minute. But, it's a ten minute long monologue. The opening scroll like three sentences i'll just say i'll just say like and okay i just think that scrolls at the beginning of movies are lazy because like the information that they give you can like it's your job as a writer to work that into your script not just tack on like a scroll at the beginning of the movie i think it's exhibition and i exposition and i think it's lazy and just (laughs) let you guys know though and Michael got very mad at me about this earlier, yeah, um, and I'm sure we'll po- we'll post this um, conversation <laughs> onto our Twitter later. But I did say I think the Star Wars scrolls are lazy, and then he said, "Dude, I'm gonna virtually RKO Kate <laughs> during our recording." And then I was like, "What's an RKO?" And he got mad at me for not knowing that. You're, and then you're he supposedly said, "Supposedly this WWE fan, even I'm I not. know what you talk about no, it all the time." No, my mom and my brother like WWE. I don't know anything about it except for the things I do know about it. Anyway, um, and then he followed it by saying, "I'm going to take you down from the top rung out of nowhere. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's coming, and you're still not going to see it coming." So I'd like to point out to our viewers that Michael is a violent individual. Look, I'm just I'm just saying in our our battle of wits here on this podcast, I'm going for the knockout as one should. <laughs> Listening. If oh, you're please. if you're if you're coming into this podcast and you're not ready to put me in a virtual chokehold and and destroy every <laughs> argument I make, you're not doing chaos right. <laughs> 
opening gosh. scroll aside, what I did love is that this movie had a, what I would call a cold open, like a scene before the Marvel logo shows up, which makes me always so excited. I I je- usually prefer when you hear like the Mar- Marvel theme or like the Spider-Man theme uh, over the Marvel logo, but I understand sometimes that's not the mood that you're going for. Uh, I just think all Marvel movies should start with a scene and then the Marvel logo. Like when Black Widow, the most anticipated movie, right, after no movies had been in theaters uh, for over a year, we go to see Black Widow and it just starts with the Marvel logo. And I'm like, yeah. give me like There's a no hype scene. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, also, what I'm talking about. Great song choice with the the Pink Floyd that that immediately got me into the film. Also, it's just they have like, a very good soundtrack in this film. I will say, like, good music. And I'm not being biased because there's a BTS song in it, <laughs> but actually good. Like when her phone goes off in that one scene and it's it's a uh, Kit Harrington calling her and it's Lizzo oh, <laughs> playing on her phone. Yeah. I was like, woo. Um, but okay, yeah. So we clearly have. <laughs> differences on scrolls i've noticed that now i'm gonna make sure that michael doesn't show up at my house and try to pile drive me um <laughs> i'm gonna bring ladders and uh and uh folding chairs ladders and tables and chairs yeah. tlc i know what that is Okay, so Eternals is known for having a pretty big lead cast. Um, Cersei is definitely, like, the lead lead of the eight of them, but there's still eight characters that are trying to, like, share screen time during this film and are trying to establish their separate storylines and their feelings on being on Earth and their mission. And I will say it was a lot to follow to have eight main characters, but we did want to just... I want to just go over with you each of them and just see what you guys thought about each character and their storyline and whether, like, you thought it was, like, a good storyline in the film. I think, yeah, we should definitely get into each one individually. Broad strokes, what's so upsetting is that, like, you this Marvel movie has been setting a lot of records, right? You have the first black gay character with a son. They had, like, yep. all of those specifics because apparently they've had gay characters before but have they um you've had your first deaf character all of these things but you had like no time to spend with any of them right like tell me right. what you can tell about lauren redloff's character other than the fact that she runs fast you don't know anything like, literally about yeah and like they literally um what was kind of upsetting is that as they were gathering all the eternals she was the last one they they ever gathered yeah. and like literally her thing was just, oh, I was just hiding out on the ship because I was bored. Are we going home? Yeah. I'm like, girl, I'm sure there's so much more to you <laughs> that I want to know. Um, but yeah, like, I thought some of the characters I did justice to better than others. I did really like Cersei. Um, I liked that they showed she kind of was, like, the nurturing one of the group and had, a like, a big love for humanity. I thought they showed that pretty well, that she was just, like, this really caring individual. What's interesting um, to me is how they all have, you know, very different defined powers and we can get into what all of the different powers are, but mm-hmm. how like, like when Cersei and Sprite are together during the first fight, right, Cersei's power is to be able to manipulate matter and Sprite can cause illusions, but neither of them have like strength to kill this, what no. do they call I want to call him a demigorgon, De- deviant. De- deviants. <laughs> um, so they need Richard Madden, Icarus to show up, who's like the Superman type flies, punches, kicks, strong, whatever, laser to show up, you know? Um, and I, I like that in theory that, like, 
you know, at the end of the day, you still need an Ajax that can heal as much as you need an Icarus who can punch, kick, fight, you know, and together you make a joint team. In the comics, I've heard that all of them have all of the powers, and I wonder if that would have made it a little bit easier with exposition, so you don't have to get to know this character, but also get to know their specific power and what they do. Um, What do y'all think about that? I would have been upset if they had every single power, because that's how you differentiate them. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Like, I like that there's there's certain characters that can fulfill certain roles because of their power and they need to like work together which is why like uh, i wish i wish the deaf scenes for um gilgamesh and ajak had been like i wish i could have felt a little more emotion from them honestly there was so much going on in the film that i was kind of just like oh that's sad they're dead but um oh the death it, scenes i thought you said death scenes death, <laughs> death. Like, oh Gilgamesh no Ajax. oh no 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 like the death <laughs> scenes and it's sad like it, it when you think about it, though it is really sad that they lose two of like their eight member crew because those two do such unique things especially and when you Salma take them, Hayek i wanted I her to stay Salma. around yeah well, especially i know because they said it's been what like seven thousand years since since one of them has died um, but I think... You well, no, that meant that they never... No one had ever died. Like, they'd been on the Earth for that long. And then... Oh, yeah. That was the first... Ajax was the first person to die. Um, so it was like, yeah, it, it was sad that they went that long and then suddenly two of them... Yeah. ...passed away. Going, going back to what you said, uh, Shruti, about the... Um, all of them having all of the powers... It's interesting you mentioned that because at the end of the film, right, they're trying to figure out a way to all connect with Druig's mind so they can form <laughs> the Unimind, which is, oh, my God. <laughs> I thought that was a joke. I thought they were going to be like, ha, 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 bad idea. Yeah, what are no, we actually going to do? No, it was true. <laughs> it, yeah, and the fact that they stuck with the name Unimind and then just started using it seriously was was also quite bad. Um but yeah, it's it's interesting because clearly that was a, a distinct plot choice to have them try and figure out how to way to combine minds. Whereas I'm assuming if they all had that power, they could just sort of all team up much easier than having to build some sort of uh, contraption made out of rings or what have you. It was, it was almost like Shang-Chi all over again with those rings they were wearing. The rings. Oh, that's so true. The second movie in a row where they have rings. They're trying to... They're trying to. The they're rings, trying to steal. Never work. Yeah, they're trying to steal some LOTR thunder ahead of the Amazon <laughs> oh. release. You ain't gonna do it. <laughs> Not on this podcast. Um, but yeah, besides like Cersei and Icarus, uh, yeah, it was interesting to kind of see like where each character stood with like how they were faring on Earth in the 21st century. Obviously, you have Sprite, who just hates being in the body of a 12 year old, and. <laughs> Kind of want some Icarus action, but can't have it because she is a minor. Um, <laughs> and then we had Makari, who, again, so sad. She was the first deaf superhero, really. And they kind of put her on the back burner a little bit. And she kind of, at this point, is hoarding up in their old ship, just, like, reading and just, like, living there. Um, Drig, he's... What was he like? Commit? He was like taking control of like an Amazonian tribe. Yeah, which to keep them safe. Again, which is like interesting. There's so much to explore there with like I know the uh, you know obvious ethical ramifications of taking control over people's minds. But like Druig's whole philosophy of like, well, if I can stop humanity from doing terrible things, shouldn't I? Like, 
if this was a TV show, they could have gotten so much more into all of that. But it was yes. just kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm taking control of people's minds. And yeah, it's bad. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, I, I thought have... it was just real quick on, on the mind control yeah. thing and, and him being in, in the Amazon and, and controlling a tribe. Definitely, yes. Uh, some ethical dilemmas <laughs> there. But I thought it, it was an interesting um, bit in in the overall plot and, and structure of the film where they go through all of these periods of time uh, throughout the history of, of civilization, right? And they take a look at all of these different empires. And now that we're sort of in this modern age, they were sort of using that as an example of some of these tribes around the world that have been so shut off from, you know, the rest of humanity and globalization that you do see, uh, you know, they these tribes that live within the Amazon or um, in the South Pacific and, and they have no contact with the world and they don't have technology. Um, and, and whether that is sort of a more... Um, human way of of living i thought it was you know definitely an interesting trinket in the overall story but i i suppose at the same time part of the problem with the film is that it's full of so many little trinkets that it sort of looks like a hoarder's closet when it comes to the plot right wow what an and analogy like, i came up with that why, right on the spot that was really good and that's why like i know me and shruti right after i saw it the first thing that she said to me was, oh, I wish it had been a TV show because it could have been so, I think the it could have worked so well as a TV Look, show. Five to episodes like, in, you do the Richard, every episode, right, is dedicated to different Eternal. Five yeah. episodes in, you do that Richard Madden episode and then you have the plot twist and then the finale is this celestial fight at the end. It like, it writes itself. Yes. You can see the show, you know, and like, I'm just sad that they didn't do it. <laughs> It, it could have been it could have been so good because the amount of just world globe trotting they do in this movie it was honestly like it was too much to go flashback we're in like Mesopotamia present day we're in London flashback we're in like this part of the world now now we're in Australia yeah. now we're in India and I'm like oh my god like I can't keep up with they're just jetting across the world and then I'm seeing it in real time and then seeing them traveling in the past too I I thought I thought that was actually done well enough it was it it was distinct enough for me jumping from place to place and i almost i like how later in the film they return back to the same time periods they previously covered but showed you a different eternals perspective right like the whole yeah. the whole icarus twist um and they they went back in time and uh showed their marriage between icarus and and cersei and I did think, for me at least, it, it was done well enough, and I loved actually the the journey throughout history and just seeing those different periods of time. I, I did find I it quite interesting. It was interesting. Again, so much potential. I don't think the histo- like the historical places they went to felt that real. Like they didn't really have a sense. Mm-hmm. Like when we were in Mesopotamia, I didn't feel it. Do you know what I mean? It. I, I guess I don't know. It felt like. I'm not saying the set design was bad, but it it didn't have that uh, sense of time and place that it really should well, and could have. 
And also they were like rushed because mm-hmm. like they had to fit so much information in, in so many different places into two and a half hours, which is already pretty long for a Marvel movie. And so it was like, I would have loved if it had been like, I don't know, like a seven episode series hour each. Like if we could have gotten like seven hours of material yeah. about these people or like eight hours, whatever. Like there's eight of them. You could, you know, like I don't know. But it, I just, I just like wanted more because I don't think it's like a bad premise. And I think the characters and like the casting, I think was great. I think they casted it really well. And I, I really did like the characters like individually. But I just like wanted so much more. And I think that's where um, my I, I got taken out of the film a little bit. And and like I can't lie, like I saw this with, with uh, Lexi. My friend Lexi, who was a guest on our podcast previously. The Bridget Jones's Diary episode. Shout out to Lexi, yeah. And we were, like, at points just giggling in the theater. Because we, we were just like, this is so stupid at some things they tried to pull off in the plot. Like, and I I hate, like, that's the last thing I want to be doing at a movie. Like, I want to be so moved that I'm crying. And I did not, like, I didn't feel anything, really. I kind of went into this. It was just too clunky. And but- I think... Yeah, go ahead. It's it's because, right, you're trying to basically tell the backstory of all of these characters who have been along since the beginning of time. Not an easy yeah. task. Um, and then because you're kind of just trying to say, okay, this is the plot mechanics that happen. You don't have time to get into the emotions that happen. You know what yes. I mean? Like, why do Icarus and Cersei fall in love? I couldn't tell you. You know, there's no yeah. emotion behind their love story. Um and and I don't blame them. They didn't <laughs> Sorry, even... I just thought of I just thought of the scene on the rocks. <laughs> we got our first Marvel sex scene, and even that they didn't even have enough time to dedicate to the first Marvel sex scene. Like I just think that, and there were conversations. Uh, I listened to interviews with the writers that they said, you know, there were conversations about it being a TV show, but it was always supposed to be a movie. Um, yeah. And they really wanted this like epic experience, and I I can understand the epicness that comes from it, but like honestly, they could have done it as a series that kind of takes, does, gives you a series of all of the characters and then a movie that has like this final battle with the Celestial. Doing that at the end, and then you also have the um, Deviant who has become sentient, Crow, oh, voiced God. by Bill Sarsgaard, <laughs> who's just kind of like there. Like that dude does not need to exist. It was just too much. Well, also poor timing kind of if, if they were really going for that epic feel. Uh, considering, <laughs> well, considering you know that Dune just came out oh. a month ago, um, and and that's really the epic that has has captured uh, the the minds and, and the attention of audiences. You know this this fall season, and you know obviously those two films are very different. But you, for me personally, seeing Dune, I got much more of an epic sense about it like to me Eternals yeah there wasn't really much epic about it there was just a lot going on but it didn't have the the typical feelings of a sort of epic uh style film i was listening to a podcast actually just this morning about how dune created that sense of epicness and small slight spoiler for dune so maybe fast forward 15 seconds if you don't want to be spoiled on dune but um in dune right there's like this whole scene where there's like the whole destruction of a planet uh, which is so epic and large and interesting to watch, but you don't need all of the plot and backstory. You just kind of like know what's going on. With Eternals, you also have a destruction of the planet, our planet, Earth, which we should care so much more about, but it's just so bogged down with trying to give you the plot and the backstory. And then, you know, flying into the sun. <laughs> <laughs> 
let's get into the romantic love stories. Uh, so we have Cersei in a love triangle with Dane, Kit Harrington, and Icarus, Richard Madden, which... Which is hilarious. Mike and I especially, I'm sure you smiled when you see Richard Madden and Jon Snow. Sorry. Rob Jon Stark Snow, and Jon yes, Snow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have a little Game of Thrones Stark heirs reunion, uh, which was really fun. But then you have this added element. Let's, I guess, let's start here, and then we can get into other romantic storylines. You have this added element where Sprite is in love with Icarus. How did that God. land for y'all? I was like, fucking no. I, I, like, it's just... Yeah. It, it, like, anything else. Like, I... <laughs> I would have preferred Sprite to be in love with Cersei. That would make more sense because they've, like, lived together for the past however many... You know what I yeah. mean? Like, w- why do you like Icarus? It literally came out of nowhere. When when uh, she's watching them and Kingo, played by Camille Nanjiani, says, oh, like, I know you're in love with whatever. I was honestly confused. I was, for a second, I was like, oh, is she in love with Cersei? That would make more sense to me, you know? Well, there's there's two issues with it. In, well, three issues with it, I guess, in my opinion. One, it's just weird. Uh, it's, it's yeah. odd to watch. Um, in that sense, it is it is a little bit uh, similar to I don't know if either of you have seen the film Lay on the Professional, um, but which is a very good movie. That was actually one of I. It might have been Natalie Portman's first role ever. One of her first is a, oh, wow. a very young child actress, and in her in the film, uh the the girl played by Natalie Portman is like in love with with Leon who who takes her under his wing and she's she's young and he's sort of like off put by it as one should be um <laughs> but i guess when you're eternal and you're 7000 years old in the the body of a 13 year old it's just weird that's that's the first issue it's just weird if we had a sprite episode it could have been explored more sure. but yeah second they lay the groundwork of the love triangle so early in the film that like you said when when kingo drops in the sprite bomb you know towards the end um it's like so it catches you so off guard it's like out of left field really at that point because i don't think you know nothing leading up to that point in terms of sprites interactions with cersei or with icarus lead you to believe that whatsoever so it is out of left field it was not coded romantically she wasn't like getting jealous she was totally just being normal and so yeah it was yeah and then and then the last the last issue i have with it right is that so much of the plot depends on that right because that's the main driving factor of her decision to follow Icarus and take his side and try and prevent the other Eternals from stopping the emergence. And I really thought, like, when she was like, yeah, I'm going to go with him, I thought that she was going to double-cross him, and I thought she was going to, like, in the end, wrestle with her feelings for him and then be loyal to, like, the rest of the Eternals. When she just really didn't, I was like, Sprite, what the fuck are you doing? Not only does it hinge on Sprite going to Icarus, that love story, but then the actual resolution of the movie is, like, Icarus looks at Cersei and is, like, remembers everything Cersei has done to love Earth and is, like, never mind, I love Cersei, so I'm going to join the Unimind. And it's, like, dude, why couldn't you have come to this conclusion, like, ten hours ago, (laughs) you know? Well, I I will say, I will say, I think 
in in that moment what really and i thought it was well done actually what drives him to come to that realization is when he is put into a situation that he needs to essentially kill kill her her to stop her and you see his like eyes well up and, and it prevents him from doing so so it really him being driven to the very edge is is what makes him come to the that realization so i did i i thought that was actually uh well done I, I, I get that, and and I understand that this is going to sound soapboxy and annoying, but I just in general don't like when romantic love is the only thing, the only stakes sure. in movies, because technically he should also love Ajax, you know? Like, I get it, I get it that he's in love with Cersei, and that's why he changes his mind, but Ajax was like a mother to him. Like, I feel like he should technically have had that same oh my god, I love this person, what am I doing with Ajax? Especially because it's effing Salma Hayek. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) One thing I thought they did well in terms of that relationship between Ajax and Icarus in in the downfall is it is when Icarus reveals, you know, Ajax sharing that secret with him and the amount of pressure that it it put on him for thousands and, and thousands of years, knowing that it was going to come to an end and, and living with that and not being able to share it with anybody. So I do understand that sort of level of resentment and the pain it probably caused him. Um, but you and do I- raise a fair point that it probably, he should have been a little more torn in, in the moment of killing AJ. Clearly after the fact, he was very upset about it, but... In the moment, he didn't really hesitate. I think that that's a very... I mean, I'm not a religious person, so maybe this is a bad thing for me myself to say, but I thought it was an interesting commentary on religion, right? Like, Icarus's purpose is... Celestials are really thought of as gods in this universe, right? And Icarus's purpose is to serve this god, and this is his mission. And he's determined to, you know follow through on what his god's orders were and not care about these other things which again like an Icarus episode of television would have been really good to explore that kind of uh you know mental anguish of like well this is my purpose here uh versus love you know yeah I mean speaking of of religion I think you you raise another interesting point here because I I too am not a religious person um and I actually found that to be another interesting aspect of the film and and again this is going back part of the issue is that there's all of these interesting aspects that they don't fully explore um if they did take more time i i think it would have been really great but something i did like is sort of the the behind the scenes look of the of the world building and in arishim and you know this mission that they're on and how these celestials you know, form life in other planets, you know, just as sort of a creation story, um, you know, as opposed to what sort of the beliefs are, are in real life with different religions. I did, I did find that really interesting, even if a little corny at times, but it it did add an interesting element, I think, to the MCU if it was explored a little bit more. I was going to ask you guys, do you think that Thena and Gilgamesh's relationship, do you think it was coded romantically or do you think it was it, more of like a brother, a brother, sister kind of thing? I 
could not figure it out. When Gilgamesh is like, I would do this for you, you know, whenever, like, no matter what planet we're on, I'll always take care of you. It sounded like he was romantically in love with her, but she doesn't, I mean, sure she cares for him, but she doesn't return words of that gravity back to him. You know what I mean? So it almost felt like a one-sided love. Like one, he was romantically in love with her and she cared for him, but wasn't in love with him. Oh, I saw it as, like, they had a very... I saw it as more of, like, a sibling relationship, personally. Because he never was, like, stating that he was in love with her or anything in a romantic sense. But he deeply cared about her, which I thought was pretty cool. And I think she's obviously kind of a broken person mm-hmm. by the by 2021. And she's <laughs> not doing too well. And I think she showed her love for him more in, like, actions. Especially when she goes nuts on, like, that evolved deviant who had like absorbed gilgamesh's power she goes crazy on that guy because i just think i i think like he was a caretaker for her and i think she like i do think there was a mutual love between them i appreciated it though that they didn't explicitly go like like gilgamesh on his deathbed oh Athena, i was always in love with you (laughs) and then like dies you know that would have been absolutely horrible (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. No, I, I, it, yeah. I, I too, I agree with Kate. I, I thought it was very platonic feeling. I, I didn't get, uh, any, you know, signs of, of romanticism from Gilgamesh. Uh, I, I'm interested just in general to hear what you both think of Angelina's, Angelina Jolie's character, Thena, um, Maybe I'm wrong. I, I feel like the perception for a lot of reviews that I read is just like, why is she here? What is she doing? Like, she, you know, her character was sort of out of place in the film. And that's probably, like you said, like we've all said a million times, because they didn't have enough time uh, to devote to her. Uh, but personally, I really liked her character. She's definitely one of my favorites out of the eternal she actually might be i think she's the coolest fighter um i like her her backstory uh but interested to hear what you guys think i i think the issue with the angelina jolie thing is and i i i don't really you know i haven't seen much of angelina jolie but i grew up with her being a movie star you know that had like the most star power and everything like that so when she was in this movie i i I thought she would have more to do and i was just kind of like confused in into why she was there. I think I heard on a podcast or read somewhere that like Angelina Jolie just wanted to be in the movie, which makes more sense to me because maybe they were like, okay, Angelina Jolie's in the movie now and she's Thena, you know, instead of writing the character around Angelina Jolie and like marketing it for her, it was just an added bonus kind of thing. But I do wonder, like, they, you know how we were talking about earlier how that deviant that absorbs Ajak and Gilgamesh's powers then becomes, like, more uh, sentient or whatever. Mm-hmm. We were kind of saying, like, what was the point in this? Because it's, it's, he's not, like, the big bad they have to destroy. But I think they literally made him to give Angelina Jolie something to have, like, a <laughs> 1v1 fight with. Because they were like, well, Cersei's got to, like, you know, try to stop the really big thing trying to blow up the Earth. But we have this other guy here, and he's, like, kind of strong Angelina, like, go get him. It just it just kind of felt, like, so disjointed, you know, that, like, they were trying to fight Icarus, 
trying to stop him, trying to stop the thing from rising up. And then they're like, oh, damn, Angelina and this guy have to go in this cave and, like, <laughs> duke it out. Um, I thought that was interesting. No, I was, it, it made me think about other, uh, I, I don't want to say multiple villains in Marvel movies, but there's always, like, there's a smaller obstacle and then a bigger obstacle, right? Like, with Shang-Chi, it was like, Tony Leung is bad, but after he's done, there's still this bigger bad now that we have to deal with, you know what I mean? Or... Uh, different in Ragnarok, but they're like, we have to get off of this planet, and then we have to deal with Hela, and then we have to deal with Surtur, I think is the... That's that's true, but at the same time, in this film, what annoyed me is that, like, they 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 found out what the bigger problem was, and then this guy was just still like, what's yeah. up, I'm here too. Like, it was, it didn't go in an order that it should, so when he just, like, came out of the ocean and was like, hey guys, I was like, <laughs> I do not care that you were here, like, get the fuck out of here, they are dealing with, like, a bigger problem. It was just, I think, the escalation. Yeah. Well, I don't know, I thought it, yeah, I mean, I thought it, it added an, an interesting layer because it, it wasn't you know, mm-hmm. necessarily like Shang-Chi where there's like levels to it where it's like, oh, we dealt with him. Now we're on to the next one where there were like th- three competing interests, you know, because the Deviants and the Eternals were basically yeah. sent there to serve the same purpose. That's true. But they're also at odds with each other. So that that's almost like a triangle when it, within itself. Um, but let me tell you real quick what I really liked about Angelina Jolie in the film. I thought it was a, and maybe I'm just reading too much into this. Maybe she did just want to be in the film and and they threw in, but I thought it was sort of a mature role for her because, you know, Shruti, like you said, she is uh, obviously, you know, this, this huge movie star, um, you know, throughout the, the late nineties, early two thousands, Um, and she doesn't have the most prominent role in this film, but I sort of viewed it as like, maybe has been is a little harsh, but she's certainly not, you know, as famous as she once was. She's not getting the types of roles that she once was. And that's sort of, I saw a parallel with her character where her, he, where herself as an eternal is sort of beginning to fade. She's losing her mind. People are doubting if she sort of can can play a role anymore, if she can be an effective fighter. Um, and it was sort of like her uh, her swan song, I thought, which was which was an interesting uh, bit to it. And I don't know, there's just a few moments that really jumped off the screen to me that I, I loved uh, for her character. Like, I think the kid calls her Athena, and she goes, it dropped the A. <laughs> um, and just like her, her whole background as the goddess of war and... and how that relates to, uh, you know, real-life Greek mythology I thought was interesting. And then the other moment I really love is when she goes to fight Icarus, and he, he says, you've never had to fight me. And she goes, no, but I've always <laughs> Yeah, she was pretty bad. That was. That, was, that was a drop-the-mic moment for Angelina Jolie. So I, I did like her. I loved her fighting style. Um, yeah, definitely one of my top three Eternals. I don't know if she's my favorite, but she's up there. And- Speaking of just, like, the fighting styles in general, I will say something I did like about this film was I did think the fighting sequence were pretty cool, and I thought it was cool how they showcased each of their, like, their powers, and I remember being like, whoa, when they told, um, oh gosh, uh, Makari, when they were like, 
Bakari, like, go find where the Titan is emerging or whatever, or the thing is emerging. And she was like, yeah. And she just, like, bolted. And you just see her yeah. going across the world. Then she just gets there and she's like, nice, I found a volcano that's erupting. I'm going to go back and tell them. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Like, like I thought they did a good job with her super speed. I thought... Is she a ripoff of The Flash? Probably. But no, but I mean, but I don't want her to be a ripoff of The Flash because I like they really tried to give her something. Like she's like she's the first deaf superhero. Like and I want her to like have her own identity, which I think they will because she's shown to yeah. definitely Well, I wish there was like a, a power sort yeah. of attached with that, right? Yeah. But it's just like the way they use it in the film is like, oh, she can run really fast. And oh look, all the other characters know sign language. <laughs> like that was that was also, it. Her chemistry with Druig is so good, but at the point we got to that romantic love oh, story, I was I like, know. "There's too much of this." Like it, they have the best chemistry out of anyone else in the movie. But I was like, "There's we gotta we gotta move on from this." Like also, like her other only defining trait other than running fast and being deaf is now this relationship. Like we don't know anything else about her, and she's so interesting. Can we so. address quickly, though, like, I think my favorite Eternal is Fastos, because... Let's talk about Fastos oh, I love building him. the atomic bomb. Oh, my God. Okay, like, literally, that blew my fucking mind when they were like, yeah, he's he, he's here. What, I just, <laughs> what are the rules of the... What are the Eternals allowed to do? Because they're, they're said, oh, we're, we're not allowed to interfere in, unless demons are involved. In, like, but also human we can conflict. invent plows. Like, they're allowed to make plows well, for no, them. No, 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 no. Like, the reason... So they weren't... Okay, I kind of understood it. The reason they're not allowed to... Like, the reason Druig especially is not allowed to just stop humans from fighting is because wars lead to like population booms after wars are over and their main they didn't know at the time but they're literally just trying to up the population another way to up a population on a world is to slowly introduce to them like technology that makes their lives easier expands their lifespans and also like um increases like their breeding right (laughs) yeah sure and so like i understood it like I got why he was like he was allowed to in- implement his his technologies slowly, but then I think um obviously seeing his technologies used in like a horrific way was enough to like break him, and well I well first of all they just shouldn't have done it they should not have put <laughs> Hiroshima in the movie I just felt like that was wildly inappropriate. <laughs> Also, I, like, in the beginning of the movie, when we started the movie, and uh, uh, I'd seen the trailer, so I'd seen the line where Kit Harrington's like, why didn't you help fight Thanos? Uh, and Gemma Chan's like, we were instructed not to interfere in any conflicts unless deviants were involved. Uh, but then in the beginning of the movie, when she saves that child during the earthquake by turning a rock into, like, dust so the child doesn't die, I was like, oh, shit, she intervened. Like, I was but, ready for that to be an so, issue. But, like, no, they can just do whatever the fuck they I don't, want. Nobody I don't, cares. I don't think so. I think they were doing, like, small-scale things. But I think, I'm sure when it came to Thanos, like, when Thanos happened, I'm sure they all had to, like, have a little Zoom conference with each other. And they had to be <laughs> I like... Think so. I don't think they've talked to each other since 7,000 years ago or whatever. Not 7,000 years, but whenever... Since when they Ajax, broke up in Babylon. Yeah. yeah. It seems like that's the last time oh. they talk. It really seems like they don't check in post-blip, which is why, like, did any of them blip? Who knows? Oh, that's so Nobody true. Knows. You're right, because I remember when they when, when they saw Fastos, they were like, you have a husband and a child. They were like, wow. <laughs> so, I also also, wait, can I just say I do like the running joke where it's like, yeah, we're their friends from college. Like, hey, these are my friends <laughs> of college. Also, though, that was so odd to me when they were trying to convince 
Fastos to come with them to like help save the world and he's like ah oh, i gotta be with my family like, <laughs> you ain't gonna be with him much longer if you keep sitting here like what do you it's, you've been you've been around long enough to know how this is gonna end and you're still hesitant i don't know i mean i guess you don't you, you, if you if you were all gonna die you would want to be surrounded by your family but you're a eternal for christ's sake like go Go do your job. Do Save the world. Do you think Fastus's husband knows that he created the atomic bomb? I think they probably know a lot about each other. I'm sure he's told no, him. No, I don't think, I don't really? think that's, something, that's something he's buried down oh. in, in the pits of his of his. I can't stomach. believe he they would, did that. There's <laughs> no way he would ever bring that. It's, look, it's definitely, it's a bold move. It's definitely a bold move, I think. What? What are we supposed to do? You think he actually built the bomb or just his technology helped them get there? I think there? he helped them. I think his technology it. helped yeah. them get but there. But he's I literally don't... there in the wake of the but bomb. But you know, he like, just he... jets around everywhere. They just fly around the world. They don't care. I thought only Ic- it seems like only Icarus can fly. Again, like no, a lot I mean, of issues. He tra- can't fly by. Okay, but, but let's, well, I mean, let's put it this way. Like, they, they showed him there. In, in the aftermath, in the destruction. Like, I don't think he, he just, like, walked onto the scene, like, an hour after the bomb fell. Yeah. Um, you know, who knows how much time passed. I My interpretation is that his technology helped lead them there. I don't think he actually built it himself. Um, and, and why I say it's a bold move, I think definitely it can come off as distasteful. But at the same time, I think... If done right, and I'm not going to weigh in if it's right or wrong, um, that's not for me to decide, but I think if done right, what it's trying to sort of convey is, you know, sort of this this evil of, of humanity, right, and this, you know, both the positive and the negative that comes up so many times throughout the film when they're like, they're not even worth saving. And, and then other people are arguing like, yes, you know, e- even for all that they're bad humanity, there's still a lot of good in it. Um, which again, maybe, maybe a little cheesy, but I do think it is important to recognize and at least sort of come to terms with right because a lot of at least in america right we like to sweep our evils under the rug and and not address them and i think maybe chloe Zhao is taking this as an opportunity to really you know point that out um you know in america we don't talk about slavery or dropping the bomb uh, or all of these other terrible things that we've done, uh, we just sweep it under the rug. Whereas if you take a look at other nations around the world, they've come to terms with with what they've done in the past. And I think that's important for people to, to recognize. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's, it's borderline for sure. I'm not going to deny that, but I do yeah. think there is at least a small purpose to it. <laughs> do you want to do worse? Where was where was Kinko? Oh yes, uh, I feel like we have not. I guess I'm glad we got into Fastos, um, but Fastos and Kingo I think are the two best characters mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, so Kingo, played by Camille Nanjani, is a Bollywood star. He's pretended to be a Bollywood star and be his like own father for the past couple of generations, so, so people don't freak out that he doesn't die. I'm curious as to how that works, like. 
does he just take a couple years off and hide so nobody sees him? So. And now he's like, and now I'm an adult again. Anyway, we don't need to get into the semantics of it. Kingo is absent from the final fight. Does he? So he does not join the no, uni no, fight? No, no, he, he like, totally the uni- is there for a second. And then he just disappears. I swear to God. Like, I remember him fighting Icarus. Because I remember him when they first confront Icarus. Isn't he doing, like, the Bali thing? And he's going to, like... Like, you know, like the little thing in his hands that he was going to shoot him? Or am I making that up? I think I you're making he, that up. He's just not he there. Leaves. He, he leaves with uh, Karun, which uh, I think is the best part of the movie. Wait! When, oh, he oh, does! So, so he's just not there, yeah. period? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he... It's he, so, so weird. So Icarus, so Icarus takes off, right? And then the rest of the Eternals that stick around are like, okay, like, we got to go stop him. And King goes basically, well, he's like, well, I agree with Icarus. Like, I, I think, you know, we should let the emergence happen, but I'm also not going to harm you to to prevent you from doing what you're going to do, as opposed to Icarus, who will actually try and kill them. So he, he takes off, and him and, him and Karun uh, leave. And I, I agree with you, Shruti. To me, he's very... Uh, he reminds me a lot of the Ben Kingsley role in, in Shang-Chi, sort of that comedic side character jester. I think Very he's, comedic, he's but when, they, when they're when they leaving, uh, Kingo leaves and Garuda's oh, left in so the room. Sad. And he says them in Hindi, like, thank you for everything you've done for humanity. It's been such a great honor. I cried. It was, like, that was, I think, the most beautiful part of the movie. And then, you know. But I, I wonder if it was, like, a covid-related reason that kumail couldn't be on set like it's just so bizarre that he wasn't there to me i found a quote from Uh producer nate moore defended the decision Uh to leave kingo out of the battle moore said that it keeps of who kingo is the person particularly with his values and beliefs quote that would be against what i believe is kingo so if there's a spectrum i'm not all the way to icarus but i don't agree with you guys and if you watch the movie at no point does kingo ever agree with their plan he's actually a pretty consistent character and what his beliefs are and values are and again in a movie that for us was very much about faith and purpose we didn't want to take i don't want to say that the easy way out but we didn't want to take the expected route of redeeming this guy because i don't think he would have showed up at the last fight is the truth yeah i i think that's i think that's a good point uh to highlight there is redeeming him because we may look at him and say like oh yeah like we like him um but i do i personally i think there he's not the best uh eternal if you think back to when they go to him and break the news of ajax's death and he's like, I gotta keep he's, shooting my movie. He's gotta, yeah. he's gotta keep shooting his movie, and he doesn't like seem that phased by, it, and, he, and he doesn't seem to really be on board with the whole like save the earth. And then even as you know that plot line continues, and they go meet up with other characters, um, it it doesn't really feel like at any point he's taking it seriously. Um, the only time he really jumps into action is when they are under attack from deviants and when they start uh, fighting each other in the ship he's like whoa you know he really yeah doesn't want anyone fighting each other so yeah but in terms of like their their mission he's uh pretty lax about it so i do think i do think it tracks uh yeah. it is very bizarre i think for a character to just like sit out a fight not be in the end yeah. of the film um but it, it tracks and i and for those reasons i i 
didn't really love his character. I loved the comedic value of him and Karun. I was um, I was listening to an interview with him, and he was saying like, "Oh, I really hope I get asked back." Oh, As he will though. That wouldn't happen. Yeah, it was bizarre because to me that that would even be a question. Well, he got. Didn't he get? Well, now that we've kind of like discussed the final battle a little bit, like the ending of the movie, the very end is when Cersei and and Kingo, and I'm guessing Fastos too, because he was still on Earth, get like basically kidnapped from. Um, I'm forgetting, like, the, the head honcho's guy's name, like, the... the Arsham. Arsham, yeah, like, so they basically are, like, he's, like, shows up and goes, hey, what, what the hell, what the hell did you do? And then beams him up. Um, yeah. So I can't imagine that Kingo, like, won't be in a next installment because he's literally, like, kidnapped. Um, but, yeah, like, it was... It, I, I, get, I get their decision, but that's not really, like... That's just not how superhero movies work. Yes, yes. <laughs> It's, like, usually the whole ensemble has to go and be in it together. Like, that's just the moral of, like, a superhero movie is, like, we're all in this together, (laughs) except for Kingo. I'm not trying to, like, Hulk shows up at the end of the Avengers, you know? Like, I, um, I'm not trying to, um, what's the word? Gaslight Kingo. (laughs) No, I'm not trying to, cause, I don't want to make a conspiracy theory here, because I genuinely have no basis for this. I just feel like there was some production issue, and it's, they didn't really want it to be that way. But yeah, again, you never know. I have, I have no basis. To, I'm not trying to start, <laughs> not trying to start shit, but. It's time to play the with and and game if you... That's a terrible name for a game, but that's the name of the game. Uh, if you're familiar with movie credits at the end of movie credits, people that are given a little bit higher status, they have a little with at the end of their... Before their name, for example... Um, fuck, I can't think of an example. Dude, just repeat Shang-Chi. Oh, who was it again? Michelle Yeoh? Um, and, and Tony Lung. Gotta be Antonio. It was those two. No, it was not Antonio. Like, Tony Lung was a core character. No, he got. I think he... it was with Ben Kingsley. Oh, and right. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, okay. okay, let me. Start. It's time to play the with and and game, which is a terrible name of the game, but we're just gonna call it that. It's where you guess who got the with and the and credit in movies, in certain movies, uh, actors that want to have a little higher status to their name, get a little with before their name. For example, at the end of Shang-Chi, it was like with Michelle Yeoh and Bangs Kingsley instead of just saying their name. Uh, my twin sister, who is the best, uh, actually texted me after she got out of the movie because she shot before me and asked me if I wanted to guess. So pre-seeing the movie, I made a guess on who got the with an and. And then after seeing the movie, I texted her again before the credits. And I got it right. I was correct uh, post-movie. Pre-movie, I thought... Um, Brian Tyree Henry would get a credit, but... Okay, anyway, I don't know it. Kate. Yeah. Uh, so Kate is going to guess. Mike knows. There's two with credits and one and oh, credit. Oh, man. Who do you think got? Okay. And which... And remind me, which one is more elevated, with or and? I actually have no idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jesus, that helps I me. I feel like and, um, in my book, it's like and this person, okay. but I have Okay, no I'm going to guess the and. Ready? Mm-hmm. Angelina Jolie. That is correct. Okay, because she's the most, like, star power one in the cast. Now for the with, I'm going to guess Kit Harrington. Yes. Okay. And Salma? 
Yeah. Oh, wow, three for three, Kate. I was staring at Alyssa, the cast, trying to think, like, who? And I feel like Kit, Kit and Salma were just hardly in it. So Yeah, it's usually the characters that are less in it. When I went into before I saw the movie, I thought it was going to be with Brian Terry Henry, with Kit Harrington and Angelina Jolie. But after I watched it, I was like, oh, no, got to switch Salma oh, out for Brian wow. Terry Henry. Because, um... Because I, I was trying to think, like, who could it be? And I was going to guess, I guess this is going to transition into what we're going to talk about next, but I was going to guess Harry Styles. But then I was like, well, he doesn't show up till after the credits, so it can't be Harry. <laughs> <sighs> um, yeah, let's get into the oh, post credit stinger. So, Kate, would you okay. care to give a, a little recap? Yes, guys. As a, as a former one-directional... <laughs> 1D fan in my youth. You're di- you're a directioner. A directioner. I don't actually know what they're what called. The hell but are they called? I liked them in high school. One One Direction. Um, no, the fans. No, but what are the fans called? Like believers. Direction. No, believers I think it's are Justin Bieber. Uh, I, it's an example, Kate. Okay? It's I. You, I don't. I'm. I'm not calling directioners believers. I'm saying. I'm How using could you? It as an oh, you get flamed on. Twitter. Swifties, right? Swifties. Swifties. Is one oh, of them. Swifties are having a good day this week. Um. Okay, anyway. Yeah, they're unbearable. Oh, <laughs> don't do that. We're going to have people come after us. Sorry, um. not sorry. <laughs> okay, so anyway, there were two post-credit scenes in this movie, which I would say were the most exciting things for me to watch in the whole movie. That's probably not good, but I was the most excited for these two post-credit scenes. I thought they were just, like, the most fun and the most... They were very big teasers for what's to come in the MCU. Can I just say, I was in the theater, and then after the first credit scene, my friend turned to me, and he was like, do you want to stay for the next one? And I looked at him like he had killed my firstborn (laughs) child. I was like, yes, we're staying. Are you insane? Anyway. I hate hate how long it takes to get to the second one. I mean, Marvel movies have a lot of credits. A lot of people work on them. (laughs) Also... I disagree. I did not like either of them. Oh, because you're not a Marvel fan, yeah. right? The ca- the credit scenes are dedicated towards expanding the universe and saying what's coming yes. next. So I understand why you wouldn't be as into them. I was very hyped. Uh, okay, so I had no idea that Mr. Harry Styles was now joining the MCU. <laughs> that was a surprise. Neither to me. neither did I till Kate Sorry. spoiled it for me. <laughs> so the first credit post credit scene is um, Droig. Uh, and uh, Thena and then uh, Makari are on their ship, just kind of like in space. And they're like, where are it? We haven't had contact from the others in weeks. Like, what's going on? And then this little troll teleports <laughs> onto the ship. That you know doesn't who, look great. Do you Patton know who? Patton Oswalt. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, Patton Oswalt. Who? But that's that troll does not look good. No, but no. he's CGI-wise. supposed to be comic relief, first of all. And secondly... I love that he's voiced by Patton Oswalt because Patton Oswalt is one of the growing list of actors who's had dual roles in an MCU installment now. Um, he was, it was so funny. I loved Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when I was in high school. Um, he actually plays this like S.H.I.E.L.D. agent um, named Eric. And then Eric dies. And then you just find out over the course of the show that Eric had, like, a lot of identical brothers, all played by Patton Oswalt. <laughs> so these brothers keep showing up, like, hey, I'm it's his so second stupid. brother, hey, I'm his third brother. They do a time travel episode, and he's like, hey, I'm their grandpa. So anyway, Patton Oswalt has... They time travel in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? They, they don't time. They do, like, a like a flashback. Uh, oh, so gotcha, gotcha. So <laughs> there are... A total of six characters in the MCU played by Patton Oswalt. Fun fact, now that we're adding Pip the Troll. 
Um, so it's it's Pip the Troll. And then he's like, hey, I got my friend with me. Here he is, Harry Styles, a.k.a. Eros, a.k.a. Star Fox. Um, not to be confused with the Nintendo series. Um, and so basically he announces himself and he's like, hey guys, like I'm Eros, a.k.a. Star Fox. I'm Thanos' brother. Probably like, wait a second. <laughs> what the heck? Um, I did some reading into that because I was like, how are they brothers? That doesn't make sense. Apparently, Thanos is an internal and a group of Eternals probably on some other planet once upon a time, were like, we want to start breeding with each other. <laughs> because, like, um, their law was that they couldn't. Like, the eternal law was like, you can't reproduce. Um, so they went to the moon of Titan in the comics, which is where Thanos is from, and they just started, like, breeding. And they had Harry Styles, but then they also had, his parents also had Thanos, but they're half-brothers because they experimented and made Thanos a cross between an Eternal and a Deviant, which is why he looks which, the way he does. So here's my number one issue with that. Then Thanos is a Deviant, so they could have intervened in Infinity War. Yes, he's half Deviant, half Eternal. Right? <laughs> That's really annoying, and I didn't think of that. And then also my other issue is, like, I kind of just want to be done with Thanos, you know? Yeah. Like, we're done with the Infinity Saga. If you really want to build something new, then stop tying everything back to what you're finished with. Like, exactly. Like, you can just have... I mean, I don't I don't know. I don't want to piss off comic book lovers <laughs> by saying, like, don't have Eros related to Thanos or, you know, do something different. But it's just, like, why does everything have to be exactly. Thanos? We're done with Thanos. I mean, you know? I think it was just a quick one-liner for him to say, to be like, hello. Like, he really just came in and was like... I'm Eros, I'm related to Thanos, I, like, did all this, like, your friends are in trouble, like, come with me. So, it was, uh, very strange seeing Harry Styles, uh, in that post-credit, but, um, obviously he's gonna play a big part now in future installments, um, and he's definitely gonna have something to do probably with the Guardians of the Galaxy, maybe, I, I don't know how they're going to tie Harry Styles in and, like, the rest of the Eternals in space, but I do think they're going to be in other installments before they're in Eternals 2. They're, so, the Eternals 2 is a big question because they just say that Eternals is going to return, and I believe it was named more, but it might be another producer, so I'm sorry yeah. if I'm miscrediting you, that said, like, oh, we're not necessarily going to have an Eternals 2. Yeah, it's just speculation. It felt, that felt kind of like, we know it's bad, so we might not make a second. <laughs> to me, because I hadn't seen the movie yet, so yeah. I was like, they're almost saying, like, don't worry, we're not, we're done, don't We're done, worry. we're done. <laughs> You're done. Maybe it's just that, maybe it's just that the characters are going to start popping up in, in, other, in other films. Movies. Like the, That's what it feels Eternals, like. Eternals as a collective, Eternals as people will and return. Harry, uh, <laughs> Harry Styles is definitely probably going to be tied into Guardians of the Galaxy because Pip his little sidekick is, is was very involved with the Guardians of the Galaxy in the comics. He was especially tied in with um Adam Warlock, who is like confirmed to be a character who's gonna be in Guardians of the Galaxy three, which is shooting right now. Um so I wouldn't be surprised if Patton Oswald does make an appearance in that movie and Harry Styles, but they're just keeping it like very hush hush for now. We'll see. Um but yeah, so that was the first credit scene and I have to say I was very startled because I didn't know Harry Styles was going to be in the MCU. I guess a lot of people in my theater were very excited because oh, no. uh, there was basically what sounded... I thought there were gunshots, which was oh, scary, but it was girls behind me hitting on their seats and, oh, and screaming. 
when he came you on camera. I, I had I had the same reaction. Oh, <laughs> uh, and I like literally like me and, and Lexi were startled and we were like, is someone dying? But we found out no, there was just some people who I think went to the movie to see Harry Styles. So they really got butts and <laughs> seats for him. They sat two hours and 37 minutes of content yep. to see five seconds of yes, Harry Styles. I Great. think so. So That's because they're real fans. They're real fans. <laughs> they're... Are you not, Kate? Awesome. Uh, seeing Harry Styles made me laugh because I want to do a long-term bet with my sisters on just, like, who will end up being in the MCU, you know? Like, just draft a cast of characters maybe we can do it on the podcast um, but i thought like if i had done that bet previously never would never have thought Harry Styles. <laughs> but he is i mean like again eros in the comics is like this very suave yeah. uh guy like i've heard from comic book nerds that he's basically and, perfectly cast you know i read that in the comics eros his power is like manipulating emotions, especially like emotions of pleasure or arousal, which is why he's named Eros. And boy, did he do that to the girls in my theater! So kudos oh to him. It's, he's already he's already doing his job. <laughs> I'm hoping that they don't, because they you know, comic Eros comics Eros gets into some issues with consent when oh, he can you yeah. know manipulate. So I'm hoping they just don't try to explore that at yeah. all. But we'll see what we'll they do. See. Um, and do you guys want to talk about the second credit scene, which I actually yes. thought was I more did, interesting? Well, I just did not understand. Okay, I'm here I to was help. Very, I was yes, please, because so Kit Harrington, uh, go, going back John to the Snow. very end of the film, yes, John Snow, Kit Harrington, Dane, going back to the end of the film, uh, when Cersei is taken away by Arisham, uh, he was right in the middle of telling her something about his family yeah. history and did that it, make you laugh mike <laughs> john snow well, saying my family history is actually quite interesting <laughs> yeah well it, it it infuriated me because i was like finish that thought um and so i'm hoping maybe kate you can lend some uh explanation to that in yeah. the credit scene because i was hoping for some resolution and for me i did not understand it so it provided none. Yeah. it was just a sword so you find out that <laughs> That he's fucking his aunt. No, sorry, wrong character. Um, you, I've never even seen Game of Thrones, but I was waiting for that joke. Um, wow. So basically, in this post credit scene, it's um, Dane in a panic because he just watched his girlfriend get snatched up into space. Oh no! And so he goes into his like study and he takes out this ancient box, opens it, and there's a very scary looking sword inside. Um, and he's about to grab it and you hear a voice off screen go are you sure about are you sure you're ready for that mr whitman and then it like goes to black so there's a few things to explain here and i i had to look it up because i was like who's who's he talking to we were trying to place bets in the theater lexi was like is it is it is it is it it, um nick fury i was like what would he be doing there but we weren't sure i thought it was uh the watcher from what's it called what the what if series but it's not it is Kate, care to share? Yeah, okay. So first we'll just talk about what Kit's doing, um, or Dane. Um, basically, what he's taking out is the Ebony Blade, which is this family heirloom that's been passed through his family for generations. It originated with Sir Percy, so he's actually related to Sir Percy. So he's then actually is also related to King Arthur because of that. And his uncle used to be a wielder of the sword, and he was like the Black Knight. And the sword is like... Think of, like, Thor's hammer 
it's kind of similar in that it's if you wield the sword it's kind of like connected to you um and you can like call the sword from anywhere and it'll like come to you but instead of it being like oh you can only wield it if you're worthy like for thor this sword is you can anyone can use it but it will feed off of your negative emotions and make you slowly go crazy does that sound familiar michael (laughs) what feeds on someone's energy and makes them go insane Sorry, I'm just like, when you mentioned King Arthur, my mind was immediately like, oh, are we, can we expect a uh, <laughs> Green Knight MCU uh, crossover starring Dev Patel and that'd be Kit fun. I need Dev Patel in the MCU. I that would be amazing. Um, He'll make it someday, for sure. So the voice is Mahershala Ali. Yes. Oh, I was going to say, though, before, I was trying to goad Michael Michael into being like, they're copying Lord of the Rings because... uh, (laughs) Yeah, the ring. (laughs) The ring. But yeah, sorry. uh, Shruti, go for it. You were saying... So Blade, I mean, I don't don't know much about the character Blade, but Mm -hmm. the... The the inclination is that we're going to get more into horror Marvel. Um, yeah. You know, Kit Harrington is going to team up with Blade. Um, I, I'm I'm fine with all of this. Like, I, I one thing I love about the MCU is how uh, future stories are seeded and past stories. But this one especially just felt like, oh, let's just add Dane Whitman now. Yeah. So you know what I mean? It felt like. It, it especially because it just further made it not make sense why Gemma Chan wouldn't tell him that he's an eternal, you know, like yeah. in this world where magic and wizards and Doctor Strange exists and everyone knows, like just tell him. Well, it, it's not that's the thing. Like this movie felt like a setup movie, and to have, like I remember being like, what, what, why'd they cast Kit Harrington? And then he's not even in the film. He's just in it for like, so, and I knew that they were going to bring him back. I knew he was probably a post credit scene, and they wanted to make him a major player of the universe going forward. But it just I, they just plucked him in there because they were like, we need we need Dane Whitman now. Go. There was an interview uh, that I, I also heard with the writers that they said we love Kit and we didn't know what he should be, but we knew he should oh. be there, like in the movie. Which I really don't like don't when either. we're like, oh, we just want to put a character in the movie, so like let's just write this part around him. It feels uninspired. Like I don't know. I know. I understand that's what all of Marvel movie making is. Yeah. But it just feels less inspired, and I maybe I have you know rose colored glasses on how the creation of these stories should be, but. Do you guys also think it's funny that, like, they're making Kit Harrington into this medieval-themed superhero when he just got off of, like, Game of Thrones, a very, like, a medieval fantasy series? I just think it's funny that he's gonna go from franchise to franchise. Like, yeah. will he ever just kind of, like, be able to do his like, own thing? Stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Well... Hey, he's cashing that check. Yeah, he is. He's making, he's making bank. Yeah, so those were the... Yeah, I wonder how much he made for this movie where he shows up in two scenes and one FaceTime. <laughs> I'm sure he made quite a bit. And gets to make out with Gemma Chan. Good good role all around. But he didn't I get did, to I, have the sex scene. <laughs> no, but it, I did think through several times throughout the film, I was like, is this collectively the most attractive cast? Yes. In oh, 100%. Film? They're yeah, so attractive. I thought it was great. I'm honestly annoyed because like uh Harry Styles, I, great addition. My TikTok <laughs> my TikTok feed very often reflects whatever Marvel property, you know, is currently in the zeitgeist. So like when WandaVision was on, I was getting a lot of interviews with yeah. Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen. But my TikTok has not changed for yeah. Charles. And like, all I wanna see is interviews with this hot cast. Like maybe now my phone will listen to me and and you know, uh 
get, but like I'm gonna speak into my phone I'm right like, now. Hey TikTok, show me more videos <laughs> with it, all of them. No, like seriously, like um I know it was supposed to be like comedic when it was kind of happening, but when like when like Cersei and Icarus and Sprite showed up for Kingo and he was like on the set of his movie and when he was like dancing and stuff, I just remember like staring at his muscles and I was like, holy crap. Like he was like going like this. I was like, oh my God, like this guy is ripped. And then they just kept introducing more and more people and I was like, this person is hot. This person is hot. Like what the heck? Why are they all hot? Except Sprite. That's not okay. (laughs) Before we wrap up, I just want to say one more positive point so I don't get yelled at for being too negative on this podcast. And I think Mike kind of touched on this earlier, but I do really love how, like, all of the Eternals uh, have the names of legends, right? Like Icarus flying into the sun. Like, Cersei, apparently Cersei in the comics, like, very often turns people into pigs and, like, (laughs) uh, you know that those legends from the Odyssey. So it's, like, kind of cool to be like, oh, those legends were all true. These things actually did happen and they're based off of these people who have been around forever. I thought that was a very neat tie-in. You know what then makes me curious about uh, Harry Styles having the name Eros? Has he been kind of flitting around on Earth without them knowing? Because he has a he has a name from like Greek mythology, Roman mythology. I don't know one of them. Uh-oh. So I thought that was interesting. Though. Sorry. <laughs> he's I also he's also a video game character, Star Fox, one of the great games <laughs> of the Nintendo GameCube. Maybe we'll get a crossover event there as well. Yes, with Harry Styles. But yeah, no, I I loved that. I thought it was cool that every name had a meaning. So on that note, thank you so much for listening to us. Not flame eternals. We found some positivity in the end there. Um, if you want to follow each of us on our social media accounts, you can follow me at Kate underscore Wyatt on Twitter. Um, I have a letterbox, but Michael told me I'm not allowed to plug it because I don't use it. So I'll just <laughs> not say it. <laughs> you can follow me on Letterboxd at M Riccardi and you can't follow me on Twitter because I'm private and I will not allow for that. <laughs> you can follow me on let you can follow me on Letterboxd, Shruti Marate, my full name. My Twitter handle is at micro Marate because I'm the smallest Marate, the tallest Marate, but the youngest Marate. And um, you can follow the show at Chaos on the Set on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Please let us know what you thought about Eternals. Uh, let us know your positive vibes because we're always trying to be more positive on the show. Again, find us at Chaos on the Set, and we hope to see more of you on the Twitter sphere and listen to- <laughs> <laughs> listen to our podcast <laughs> please keep listening to us <laughs> well that'll bring them back <laughs>